This is a small crucible from a chemistry set. And the way a crucible works is when the heat is applied, the chemicals break down to their essence, to what they really are. You want to know that if it's real gold or what the alloy is, you'll put it in a crucible and turn up the heat, and then you'll be able to tell. See, it turns out that in times of testing is when we both most find out who we really are, what we're really made of, what we really worship, what we really believe, and who God really is. Have you ever been through a time of testing in a crucible when the heat's turned up? Are you in one this morning? Abraham found himself in one. In fact, the verses we're going to look at today begin like this. After these things, God tested Abraham. And so begins what is the most difficult, mysterious, terrifying passage in all of the Old Testament. We've been looking for the last several weeks at the life of Abraham in this series we're calling Family Tree. And the theme of this series is that everything starts somewhere, and God started something with Abraham so many years ago. What can God begin with you and with me? Today concludes part one of the series, and we look at the, the defining episode of Abraham's life. And it was a crucible experience. And it revealed what he was worshiping, what he believed, and who his God really was. Now, you may be here today, and you're not a Christian, or you're not sure if you believe, or you struggle with things. And maybe one of the things you struggle with is the Scripture. Because the Scripture is difficult. And you probably read some parts of the Bible and say, I can't believe that, or I don't want to believe that, or etc. Now, you should know that I'm a pastor and I have the same problem sometimes with different parts of Scripture. Now, probably the things that are difficult for me may be difficult for you. For example, if you were here on Easter, you know that I have no problem believing that Christ really was bodily raised from the dead. I really believe that happened. I think it's reasonable to think so, and I've talked about that. But there's other things that Jesus says that are hard for me. He says, for example, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And that's a difficult passage. I struggle with that. I'm someone who is rich, so blessed to live in this country with what I have, and I'm wondering, am I following God or am I just pretending at it? Jesus says, love your enemies, bless those who persecute you. That's hard for me. I don't like that. But maybe it's the case that the parts in the scripture that are most difficult for us are the ones we most need. I'm somebody who has a high view of Scripture. I want to be ruled by it. I want the Holy Spirit to take the Scripture and sand me down and smooth out my rough edges. That only happens when there's things in there that are difficult and hard for me. And this story is difficult. But it reveals something very important. And it's so important that I think you can't afford to miss it this morning. So Genesis chapter 22 and following. After these things, God tested Abraham. And he he said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he sent out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And so the two of them walked on together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, father... And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, the fire and the wood are here, but 
Where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. And when they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. May God add his richest blessings to the reading and hearing of the word today. Let's pray. Lord, take my words and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. And then take our hearts and light them up with love and faith for you and for your word. This is what we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. After these things, God tested Abraham. Abraham found himself in the crucible, a time of testing. I don't know a whole lot about life, but I know this, and this is a guarantee. There will be a time in your life in which you'll go through a time of testing. When you find yourself in the crucible, you may be there this morning, you may have just come out of that period, or you may be going into it, I don't know. But I know that it's part of life. And just like the crucible in chemistry, the crucible in life, the difficult times reveal something very important about who we are and who God is. The first thing that the crucible reveals is what it is we worship. When you find yourself all alone with nothing else, when the heat's turned up, that's when you know what you're really worshiping. There's a story we tell in my family that my grandfather, my dad's dad, and the family were on vacation in the Smoky Mountains of western North Carolina. And in the Smokies, hence the name Smokey the Bear, there are little black bears. And they were having a picnic lunch one day on the side of the road, and a fat little bear ambled up. And everybody yelled, and my grandfather was a man of action. He quickly got up, grabbed the cooler, went in the car, and locked himself in with the cooler. <laughs> See, when the crisis comes, you realize what you worship. And my grandfather loved those deviled eggs. I should, he's now gone to be with the Lord, and so I should be fair and tell you that his excuse always was he was trying to remove the cooler, which was the bear's target from where his wife and children were. But we make our own decisions. In the crucible, you find out what you really worship. In other words, what's important to you. You might put it like this. What you worship is what is non-negotiable to you. Lord, I'm willing to follow you, but not past there. This is the line right there, no further. Lord, I'm willing to give, but not that. Lord, I'm, I'm willing to trust, but not in that area. It turns out when the pressure is on is when we realize what we're really worshiping. The words of the scripture are so specific. God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. If you know anything about Abraham, you know that the great crisis of his life was to follow God and trust that God would provide the son he so desperately needed. We just celebrated the sacrament of baptism. We had little ones up here, and I don't need to tell you how precious those children have been to those parents. And how for some of those parents, they waited so hard and so long for those children. 
But as important as, as important as children are to us in the 21st century, they are much more important in the ancient world. Because in the ancient world, your family was who you were, your life. For Abraham to be a great patriarch, it doesn't matter how much land he owned, which was a lot, or how many servants he had, which were many. All that matters is he has a son to carry on his name. And Abraham doesn't have a son for years and years and years. And then one day God gives him a son, this little boy named Isaac. It's no wonder that that would be, that little boy would be the most important thing in Abraham's life. And it's appropriate for us to love our children, but it becomes dangerous when we begin to worship them. We all know families who do that. What is your non-negotiable in your life? You may not be a Christian this morning, but you still have one. I'm okay as long as I have, as long as this doesn't happen to me. Now, for some of us, it is physical possessions. Several weeks ago, we had a tornado come through, and, or at least the warnings. And so underneath our house, we have what we call a dungeon. It's like this dingy little basement cellar. And my wife and son and I went down in there. Before I went, I made sure to grab my computer and bring it with me. No, I made sure they were following, okay? But I wanted my computer with me. That's important to me. It reveals something about who I am. But for many of us, in the time of testing in the crucible and the heat is turned up, it's not our physical possession so much as it is other things. As long as people have this opinion about me, I'm okay. But God, don't, don't threaten that. This is 19, 50 years ago in 1963. There was a time of great tensions among race relations in America, particularly in the state of Mississippi. And a couple of weeks ago, one of the Methodist churches in Mississippi celebrated three young pastors at the time who stood up against the evils of segregation and spoke out for what they believed was the truth of the gospel. That's so easy now to look back on and say, that's what I would have done too. But when's the last time you stood up for what was right regardless of what it cost? Regardless of how you were ridiculed and humiliated. See, when the heat's on, when you're in the crucible, that's when you know what you really worship. I worship my, everyone else's good opinion of me. My stature in the community. What is it for you? The first thing that we learn when we're in the crucibles of life in the time of testing is what we really worship. Do we worship the true and living God or some kind of false God of our own creation? That's first. But secondly, these time of testings are valuable because they also show us what it is we really believe. Abraham. He's with his son Isaac. I can't imagine what was going through Abraham's mind when God gives him this word. I need to say very specifically, though, that in Hebrew, what it literally says, what God literally asked Abraham to do is to offer up his son as an offering. It does not say specifically to kill his son, which I think is important. But either way, Abraham was able to understand what was being asked of him, to give up possession of his son, to offer him up as an offering. It's a very hard thing, and I don't understand it any more than you do. But I wonder, though, if there's a part in Abraham's mind that was ready to be obedient and yet still believe that God was going to make a way out of it. As they're making their way to the mountain, verse 4, on the third day Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Verse 5, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. We will come back to you. Was he lying? Was he deceiving? Later on, verse 7, Isaac said to his father Abraham, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And the two of them walked on together. 
In the time of testing, when you're in the crucible, it's when it's revealed to you what it is you really believe. And it seems to me very clear that Abraham, whatever his situation was, believed that somehow God would provide. That God would provide. What is it that you really believe when the time of testing comes? Many of us who are Christians, when difficult things come to us, we think that somehow the universe is screwed up around that because we're good people and bad things shouldn't happen to good people. You ever felt yourself saying that? Others of us, we have this idea that somehow God is vindictive or vengeful or, or erratic in his goodness toward us. And if one good thing happens, then we're going to expect a bad thing later on because that's the way the universe seems to work. What are the beliefs that you have that are false beliefs when it comes to who God is and who you are? One of the things that really haunts me and kind of drives my ministry here is the idea that in 1930s Germany, the vast majority of the people, if they had checked off a census form, would have said, yes, I'm a Christian. And yet the vast majority of those same people went along with the evils of the Third Reich and Hitler's leadership. How is that possible? See, it turns out when it came down to it, for many of them, what they really believed was that the church was only helpful when it comforted them and made things easy. But when Jesus called something difficult, they no longer believed that that was what was most important. What was most important was supporting the fatherland, the leadership of the Third Reich. But there was another small group of Christians led by a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Martin Niemöller. And when the heat was on, they found themselves in the crucible. They said, no matter what, we're not giving in. And Bonhoeffer was martyred in the end of the war by the Nazis. What is it that you believe? When the heat's on, when the pressure's really there, you're single. It's so difficult to be single when you want to be married. I know it. Do you believe that it's important for you to be faithful no matter what? Or do you begin to lower your standards a bit? Do you begin just to follow with and hang around with whoever you can? Because it's more important for you to be with somebody than to be who God created you to be at this time. You're in, you're in work and there's a contract that's come across your desk and it's worth a lot of money and there's something wrong with it and you know what's unethical or unfair. And you know that if you raise objections about this contract, you'll lose the commission, you'll lose your job, you'll be ridiculed in your company. This, see, this is where the crucible is. is. Do you do with what's right no matter what? Trusting that God will provide or, or do you just compromise a little bit right here? When we're in the time of testing and the crucibles and we feel, realize what we really believe. <clears throat> I've told you before that I'm a pastor's kid and I have two brothers, so there's three boys in my family. And often pastor's kids get the reputation of being the worst kids in the whole church, the ones who are smoking behind the barn on the youth trip or whatever. And I like to say the reason the pastor's kids become so bad is because they hang around all the parishioner's kids. So, <laughs> But you know, that's a fair reputation, I believe, because it often holds to be true. But none of, neither I nor my brothers have ever walked away from the church, praise God, at least so far in our lives, and we're all adults now. And I'm not really sure why that's the case other than the grace of God, but I have one idea, and that is that I never saw my parents say one thing and practice another. And it turns out that in the times of testing is when we're also best able to show our children what we believe. We had this idea in this country that men, and particularly fathers, need to have a front of invulnerability, 
invincibility. But I wonder if the most important spiritual lesson you can give your children is to be on your knees on the carpet in anguish in a difficult place saying, God, help me because I can't do it on my own. And I remember in my family one such moment. There was a little boy in our church who would come down with cancer. And the church had a big prayer meeting. My dad had led it. And I remember... I remember after that meeting, and they were waiting for the results, and my dad got the phone call. And it was bad news, and he hung up the phone. And I remember he just started crying. And like most of you, I've seen my father cry very rarely. But it struck me that this faith he had in this God was a real faith, a faith that he didn't always understand. And when bad things came, he didn't put a nice face on it. He was riven by the anguish of somebody else's suffering. And I remember that lesson. Because it struck me that anybody that had that kind of relationship was worshiping a living God, not some kind of God of his own creation. When you're in the crucible and the pressures turn up, that's when you know what you really believe. But there's something else, too. The crucible doesn't just show us what it is we worship or what we really believe. It also has the opportunity to show us who God really is. I don't understand the story any more than you do, but I'll tell you this. When the knife is raised and Abraham is ready to do the unthinkable, the angel of the Lord calls out and says, Abraham, Abraham, do not kill the boy or do anything to him. And Abraham looks over and he sees a ram caught in the thicket and they end up sacrificing that ram. Because God does provide, it turns out. It turns out that when God is tested, he always proves faithful. When I was in college, I had the privilege of hearing a series of lectures by Elie Wiesel, the Nobel laureate. He's a Holocaust survivor, a man of deep wisdom and learning. He wrote a little book called Night, a memoir about his time in the concentration camps. And if you've been in English classes in American high schools for the last 30 years, you've probably read it. And he was giving a series of lectures on the Torah, that is the first five books, what the Jews call the first five books of the Old Testament. And one of the passages on which he chose to lecture was this one from Genesis 22. And I was sitting probably 20 feet back from the podium. It was a beautiful, powerful lecture. But I remember when he came to the point where Abraham has the knife raised. And Elie Wiesel said, But where was God when all the other sons and daughters of Abraham cried out in the consecration camps in Dachau and Birkenau and Auschwitz? Where was God then? And I was only 19 years old at the time, but I remember sitting back there and saying, But that's not who God is. There's more to the story. See, it turns out that many, many, many years later, Abraham did have a descendant, a son of Abraham. And he was led to a mountain that he didn't want to go to. Not Mount Moriah, but Golgotha, the place of the skull. And wood was laid across his back, just as it was in little Isaac so many years before. And he was forced to carry his own cross. But when the knife was raised, so to speak, he cried out, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And then he cried out again in deep anguish, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, it turns out that God always provides, even if it means providing himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
I don't know why we find ourselves in the places in which we find ourselves, in the crucibles of life, but I'll tell you this. I believe God is faithful no matter what. And the Christian story is that even when death takes some of us and will ultimately take all of us, God provides a way out on the other side of death because of the crucifixion and resurrection of his only son, Jesus Christ. See, it turns out that the word crucible, if you catch the connection, is related to the word crucifixion, cross. It is not only in the time of trial that we most learn who we are. In the ultimate trial, it's when we most see what God is like and who God is. And then we know with the words of the Apostle Paul that God who would not spare his own son for us, will he not willingly give us all things? I don't know why you are going to find yourself in the difficulties that you're going to find yourselves in, but I know that God is faithful. God is faithful. He always provides, even if it means a resurrection after a crucifixion. So here's your job this week. It strikes me that Abraham was able to be who he was in that moment only because he had been walking with God and learning about the Lord and his faithfulness for so many years. It could be that this week is your time of trial, the the time that will just define who you are on this earth. But maybe it's just going to be an average week with the average difficulties and annoyances and frustrations and impatiences. But God uses those small things to shape who we are. This week when you find yourself annoyed because the traffic's taking longer, your child spilled milk in your briefcase, or your coworker's too slow to return your phone call, what might those things be telling you about who you worship? In the grace of God, maybe he gives us opportunities to put aside the false gods now so when the time of testing really comes, we can put our faith in the living God. This week, when you're in a difficult time, when you're worried about paying the rent or something else is coming up that's hard, maybe it's a time for you to realize that you may be believing some false things and pray that God, show me where I'm wrong and what I believe and shape those things and take those things away from me so that when the time comes, I can have my faith in the rock that will withstand anything. And maybe this week, and you're in a difficult, small place, God can use it to show you again who he is, how good he is, how the one who, will not, who did not even spare his own son will willingly give us all things and prove to you that he's faithful because those who are faithful in small things are faithful in the large thing as well. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.